Hi, everybody. My name is Carl Darden, and I'd like to welcome and thank all of you for joining us today here on Navy Sports Central. I am your host, and this is the official podcast of the Navy Sports Nation, where we take a deeper dive into Navy sports. In this episode, we're going to preview the women's indoor track and field team in advance of their big star meet coming up against Army on February 5th. I'll give you a quick rundown on how a typical dual meet is scored, and then I'll be joined by a former member of the team to profile five athletes who figure to play a key role when the mids take on the Black Knights. So, if you are a track junkie like me, great. If not, stick around anyway because we're going to have a lot of fun. Okay, we are back, and uh, we've really got a good show lined up for you today, so whether you are a regular listener or you're hearing us for the first time, thanks for making us part of your day. Now, as I just mentioned in the opening, the Navy women's indoor track and field team has their star meet versus Army coming up next week. Um, Of course, the men do too, but in this episode, we're going to focus primarily on the women since our guests used to compete on that team. Uh, When the outdoor track season rolls around in the spring, we'll check out the men's team. Anyway, I do want to get to our guests as soon as we can, so I'm going to shift gears here a little bit and uh, put off the sports update until the next episode. What I want to do now is give you guys a quick rundown on how these dual meets in uh, indoor track are actually scored. Then we can see where both teams stand as of right now before we start taking a look at our athletes. Okay, first let's start with the total number of events. Um, In a dual meet, typically there are a total of 17 events. Um, 11 are on the track, and then there are six field events. And I'm not going to you know, give you the whole laundry list. We'll, we'll kind of cover them as we, as we go along, but, uh, uh, that just kind of, you know, level sets everybody. And as far as the points go, there are points assigned for the first four places. So we start with five points for first place, three for second, two for third, and one for fourth. Now there are a couple of minor exceptions when it comes to scoring, but, uh, again, that's a story for another time. So I'm not going to get into the weeds on that. Uh, for our purposes, the uh, the format I just laid out is how it works most of the time. Anyway, as you can see from that, having solid depth across as many events as possible is a real bonus. Uh, if a team doesn't finish first in an event, the impact of that loss can be softened by taking any two of the next three spots. It can be a pretty effective strategy. In fact, it played a big role in last year's star meet uh, that the mids won 98 to 83. Uh, going into this year's matchup, it looks like both teams have competed about the same number of times. Most of them have been in invitationals. Uh, The fact is that actually the dual meets are becoming less common at the collegiate level. And that's a subject for another day, but it's actually pretty interesting. I started learning a little bit more about that as I was getting ready for this this episode. Um, In any case, the women's team is pretty strong, starting with about the 400 and working all the way up into the middle distances. When I looked at the two most recent invitationals for both teams, uh, the mids had significantly better times in the 400 meters, the 800, the 1000, the mile, and the 3000 meters. So I think we can expect some pretty good things there. Uh, these meets are usually pretty close. The mids won the last two to pull even in the overall series. Right now, both Army and Navy have won 17 times with uh, one tie. Now, outdoors, Navy does have a uh, 20 to 14 advantage. As a final tune-up, the uh, women will be uh, competing in the Patriot Games this weekend at George Mason University. And uh, on the back end of this episode, I also kind of touched on some of the results that they had from the Wesley A. Brown Invitational from, uh, from last week. So that should get you pretty much uh, up to speed on where things sit with uh, Navy women's indoor track right now. We're going to step away real fast, but when we come back, we'll meet our guest and continue with our preview of the team. Don't go anywhere.
All right, it is time for our deep dive segment. So let's go ahead and introduce our guest. She is originally from North Brunswick, New Jersey, and she majored in systems engineering while graduating with Merit, which, by the way, is no small feat. Uh, while at the academy, she earned three letters in cross country, two in indoor track, and one in outdoor track. And during her senior year, she served as 11th Company Commander. And finally, she was inducted into the Navy Athletics Hall of Fame in women's track as part of the 4 by 800 meter relay team that won the national championship. Uh, her teammates in that, on that team were uh, Sue Honan from the class of 84, Stephanie Green from 85, and Laura Hinckley from the class of 83. Uh, these days, she's heavily involved in mentoring programs through Mentors Incorporated, and she gives talks to young girls, encouraging them to pursue careers in science, technology, engineering, and math. So I'm very pleased to welcome my classmate from the class of 84, Chris Gromick, to the podcast. Chris, thank you so much for joining us here on Navy Sports Central. We really appreciate you being here with us today. Oh, Carl, thanks for having me. All right. So, you know, one of the things I like to do, especially when I have classmates on, and is to basically find out their whole story in terms of how they wound up at the academy. So I was wondering if you could kind of share that with uh, with the folks who are listening. When did you first hear about the academy, and when did you decide that that's where you wanted to go? Well, I first heard about it when my dad, in 1976, so my dad was reading about the first women being admitted to the academy that plebe, that for plebe summer. And he's like, oh, oh, Chris, you know, look, they, they let women into the academy. And I'm like, oh, God, who would ever want to do that? <laughs> and the sly dog that he is, he's like, oh, okay, well, whatever. And then, so then my, uh, the summer after my freshman year in high school, he says, oh, let's take a family trip to Washington, D.C. So I grew up in New Jersey. So we drive down there and he's like, oh, on the way back, let's, let's stop in Annapolis. So we stop in Annapolis and it's class of 81's plebe summer. And the campus, you know, you know, I don't have to tell you or anybody else who's ever been there. It's like one of the most beautiful campuses. I still think that I thought a minute, the minute I walked on and I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. And then I'm watching all those, the plebes run around and scream and shout and uh, formation. And I'm like, oh, this is kind of interesting. And I'm like, looks kind of fun. And I'm like, how dumb, (laughs) how dumb could you be? And I'm like, oh, well, maybe I should, uh, maybe I should think about this more. And I'm like, well, I'm one of five kids. And I'm like, oh, geez, this is a free college, dad. Dad keeps telling me free college. So I, so from that point on, I was like kind of interested. And that's pretty much how I ended up there. (laughs) All right. <laughs> That's pretty good. Um, so thinking back to high school now, you, re- you obviously ran track. What other sports did you play besides that? And did you think about playing those when you got to, to Navy? You know what? I was just a runner in high school. Like I dabbled in middle school and basketball and softball, but I was like kind of a klutz. And so I just stuck with running the whole time I was in high school. So I did mm-hmm. three three seasons of running. Okay. All right. Now, it sounds like your dad, you know, obviously was doing his best to kind of point you in that direction of the academy. He, was he the main one that influenced you to go? Or was there anybody else who kind of played a role in that? Uh, my, my dad was a big influence. Um, my A really good friend of mine in high school, her brother, when I was a freshman, he was a senior and he was applying to Navy. He turned out to be class of 81, Ken Wade, Kenny Wadelick. And he was actually in 10th company and I was in 11th company when I eventually got there. But I was kind of following him along and he'd come back over, you know, breaks and, you know, Patty and I uh, would, you know, hang out and he'd be there and talk about it. And, you know, it sounded sounded like the place to be. But, you know, my dad just kept, you know, 
you know, bringing it up every once in a while and just not really pushing me in the direction, but, you know, encouraging me to look more closely at it. Right, right. Okay. All right. So, and I, I'm asking this question just to kind of give everybody some perspective, uh, because obviously when when you're getting there, I mean, our, our class was what, the fifth one that had women in it. And I believe that when we graduated, I'm going to say we probably graduated maybe, was it 70 or 80 or, or am I off base on that? Oh, no, no, no. We graduated uh, in the 40s. Okay. All right. So it's even lower than that. So, uh, so just for fun, as we were get, as I was getting ready for this, I actually counted up the number of athletes on the women's roster on the track team. Um, came up with 75 <laughs> across all four classes. Okay. So when you think back to when you were competing, then how did those numbers square? I mean, how does it compare to when you were, when you were on the team? How many, how many teammates did you have? I mean, if, well, if you, if you think about it, if, if there were 75, as, assuming there were a hundred women in each class, which as we progressed, obviously both men and women, you know, leave the academy for one reason or the other. That would be 25% of right. women would have to be, of each class would have to be on the team. So, no, we did not have 75. <laughs> I mean, I just remember sitting in the, the big milk carton buses and everyone had their yeah, own that's seat, right. so there couldn't have been, you know. If we had 30, I would say we probably had a lot because everyone did more than one event. Exactly. You know, I mean, you know, we were – you can't be a big squad. Um, you couldn't. We couldn't be seventy-five. There's just right, right. You know, there were just weren't enough women. Like I remember, um, you know, we just we couldn't even field teams to be. You know, we were Division Three in the not even NCAA. We were the AIAW mm-hmm. um, at the time. So, but we were considered Division Three. And I remember a big argument at one point where they kept trying to push us at that point into a division one track and field because, um, we were under scholarship. We were all scholarship athletes uh-huh. and we're, we're like, well, we're scholarship athletes, but not because we're runners <laughs> or, you know, we eventually, as they, you know, admitted more women, we, we obviously moved up the ranks into, uh, NCAA and Division One, but at the time there wasn't enough. And like I said, if we had thirty, we probably had a lot. Yeah, yeah. And, and you make a good point too uh, in terms of the athletes there participating in more than one sport because uh, clearly, I mean, I can't remember how many sports there were that came out total right away. Uh, certainly not at the Division Three level. Some of them were like club sports, like you know when Ginger was talking about cross country earlier. Um, but uh, I asked that question basically to kind of demonstrate how much growth there has been uh, in those sports over the last, you know, 30, 40 years or so, because now you've got a total of 13 varsity sports where the women compete. Uh, three of them are co-ed and the other 10 are in the Patriot League. And as of last spring, when the golf team won the Patriot League title, all 10 of those teams have won at least one league championship Wow! since its inception. So that, that to me is pretty, pretty cool to see. All right, um, let's go ahead and move on here. I'm going to basically, we've talked a little bit about what the events that you ran and stuff like that. Oh, there's one question. It's kind of out of place here, perhaps, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask it here before I forget. Running indoors, uh, I don't know. I know we didn't have such a track at the Halsey Fieldhouse when, when we were there, but did you ever run on a track that was banked when you were competing? I did once. 
once or twice, but it wasn't indoors, to believe it or not. It was an outdoor wooden track. And it was, I was in high school and I believe, well, I lived right near Rutgers University. So I'm pretty sure that's where it was, but somewhere over there. And it was a, a winter, winter track. We weren't indoor track. We were winter track because there were right, not right. very many indoor tracks. And, and it was a, it was a wooden banked mm-hmm. track. So that was, um, and I, it's interesting because, uh, it's funny how you have to line up because you, you can't really line up on the bank. You know, you have to, they, it's really more, uh, for the sprints. I, I believe it was, I don't even think it was 220. I believe it was smaller. I want to say it was, um, I, I think you had to do like three times around for a, it was like, for a, like a quarter mile. So it was just like an odd distance. Yeah, like 150 or something like that. Yeah. I know most of them these days are like 200 meters, but uh, yeah, they could be shorter for sure. It all depends on how much space they have available when they constructed the track, I think. <laughs> yeah, really. But yeah, I was just kind of curious about that. Um, all right, so thanks for that quick intro in terms of your background and, and such. What I wanted to do now is kind of jump into, I basically picked out five athletes, uh, that I want to kind of discuss. Uh, and some of them are field athletes, some of them are mid distance, some of them are sprint, but, uh, I wanted to just kind of, you know, touch on your expertise and, and, and those of your classmates that you knew or other teammates that you knew when you were there, uh, in terms of just kind of giving your perspective on some of these, uh, different events. So, the first athlete I want to talk about is uh, Charlene Mork. She is a junior from Isanti, Minnesota, and she specializes in the pole vault. Now, she won the Patriot League Championship in 2020, and she also finished first at last year's uh, Star Meet versus Army. And I think I read where she's only one of three women at the academy who've uh, cleared like you know four meters. So uh, I would ask if you had any con- any classmates who competed in that event, but I know that the NCA didn't even add it until like 1998. But, uh, you know, let's suppose they did, all right? Is this an event that you would ever consider trying? And uh, based on your athletic experience, what do you think goes into being, you know, a decent pole vaulter? I don't, I don't think I would have tried it. I always found it fascinating to watch, um, especially watching um, the men, you know, in the Olympics and stuff, Bob Seagram, and I can't think of some other ones, but I just remember him specifically. And um, so I... I I don't think I would have the, well, one, I don't think I'd have the coordination, but I, I think it takes, it's a, it's a really big combination of, um, power, uh, you know, the, it's converting the run down the ramp to planting the pole and, and converting the, the speed into, you know, height or power to get up. And, uh, you're converting the speed, uh, to propel yourself up and, uh, and upwards and, actually upside down, you know, so, um, but really if you talk to uh, any pole vaulters, it's, it's a lot mental. I mean, it it could get kind of, you know, your lower, the lower heights, you know, it's not so much. I mean, I was a high jumper, so, you know, you really literally start out fairly, not too much um, higher than some of these Olympic pole uh, high jumpers, but but it's just when you start getting up to to the height, you know, you have to overcome that fear of doing it. It's just like a gymnast who has to do all those tumblings. Like if you've ever seen Simone Biles, you look at her and you're like, oh, my gosh, they're running down that 
ramp and they're hitting that vault and they're spinning and they have to have, you know, a spatial awareness uh-huh. to make sure they um, know where their body is because it's dangerous if you if you lose uh, your spatial uh, recognition of where your body is. Um, learning pole vaulters wear helmets now uh, because they, you know, they're concerned about how they fall or some don't even hit the mat, um, depending on how fast they run down the the runway but um i really admire people who could do that it's it's not an easy sport it is an event it's something that it takes a lot of um mental and physical coordination yeah yeah i i'm i'm with you i i couldn't have done it either and when i think about something like the pole vault i think about <laughs> When we were, when we were going through flight school, remember when we had to do that precision and aerobatic stage? Think, think <laughs> yeah. back, think back yeah. in the in the recesses of your memory. <laughs> yeah, how many but, times I threw up? <laughs> yeah. but I, I remember when we had to do the when we were getting introduced to the barrel roll, okay? And you know the instructor demonstrated it for me on the very first one and everything. He goes, okay, Carl, now you do it. So. You know, when he did it, it was just like so smooth and everything. And I, I was kind of following what was going on. But when he was like trying to talk me through, I, I really had no idea what I was doing. Right. I mean, you could study the procedures all you want. It just when you get in there in a the cockpit and you're doing this stuff is like, OK, this is not matching up with what I recall, you know, should be I should be seeing. So the first time he let me do it on my own. Oh, my God. About halfway through, he just took the controls and, you know, corrected me and everything <laughs> like that. And and I re- I read the the. Uh, the grade sheet afterwards, and it said, you know, barrel roll below average, and he said, pulled 2.5 Gs in a barrel roll. (laughs) (laughs) And and we're laughing, of course, because we know that a barrel roll is only a 1G maneuver. (laughs) So... (laughs) So luckily, I was able to kind of figure that out by the time I, I finished up the syllabus, and I was actually able to do it you know, on a satisfactory level before, uh, before moving on. But that right there convinced me that I wasn't going to be a jet pilot. Okay. <laughs> I, I was very happy to, to be a helicopter pilot, you know, and, and that was my, that was my thing. So, uh, but when I think about pole vaulting, the fact that you are, you're running down the runway, so you're facing straight ahead and then you plant the pole and then all of a sudden you're looking straight up and then you're approaching the bar and you have to twist. So now you're looking back behind you and then you drop the pole and you're like looking so you can clear the bar. So now you're looking down and then you got to flip back up and now you're looking up again as you land into the pit. There's no way I could have managed that. I would have probably killed myself, you know. So. <laughs> I, like I said, I mean, it's almost a gymnast with a pole in some ways. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. The next athlete we got here is uh, Jessica Nangle. And she is from Southampton, Pennsylvania, a senior. And she competes in distance races, both indoors and outdoors. Uh, typically runs a 3000 in the winter time. And I think she runs a steeplechase outside, but she was also the captain of the women's cross country team, um, this past fall. Now, both the men and the women just finished up a dual meet against Princeton. The uh, women weren't able to come away with the win, but Nangle did win to 3000 meters with a time of uh, about nine minutes, 40 seconds. And her time was actually good enough to qualify for regional. So she's in pretty good shape. Um, now I remember from the conversation I had with Ginger a few months back that, uh, you also ran cross country in the fall. Okay. And I'm kind of curious, just based on the events that you took part in during the winter and the spring seasons, how did running cross country benefit you uh, beyond just conditioning, you know, and kind of getting you ready for the, for the winter season? Well, 
conditioning is primary, but in cross country, as Ginger mentioned, that it you just don't do long distance. It's not just, okay, I could run. It's not marathon training. It's, you know, so there's speed workout in there and uh, tempo runs and all that stuff. So that helps because then the middle distance races, it's, it's quick, quick twitch muscles, not as fast as the sprints, but you still, you can't just be in this, okay, I'm going to do long, slow distance. It's, it's a, it's a quicker pace. So if you just did long distance running for conditioning, that doesn't help you. I mean, it gives you overall fitness perhaps like now, but it doesn't help you speed wise. So the fact that cross country isn't just long, slow distance, you, you get the, in, you start getting into uh race pace stuff, mm-hmm. um, you know, quicker sprints to um, get your body acclimated or your muscles acclimated to feeling a little bit, um, the lactic acid buildup and stuff. So, um, and then also um, the part of it is, you know, the, the actual race itself, you know, you don't run uh, by yourself in any race. And so, you know, there's the jostling or how do you feed off of someone else's uh, momentum or not? Or do you, are you demoralized when someone passes you? You know, you, it's a mental thing. So it, it really helps you to get into the frame of mind of, of racing also, because, you know, again, if you can, I could run, three or four miles now and I, you know, whatever. But when you're in a racing situation, uh, there's just so much more the, the anticipation, the adrenaline buildup beforehand, the, the butterflies until you're on the line and the gun goes off. I mean, so even though cross country, um, is a longer race than I, I would normally run, it still gets you, uh, mentally and physically ready to do the shorter distance. Um, because in, in the, 400 or especially the 800 well 400 you run in a lane but the 800 you you know it's a kind of a gang start or you at some point you cut in and you know it's all that jostling um and uh, i don't know if you saw the olympics but in the men's 800 um oh gosh what was his name from uh great young middle uh distance runner and he um Usually runs out front, big, obviously, Olympic meet, and he clipped uh, an opponent. He got tangled oh, up yeah, in the final stretch. Yeah, I remember that. And he fell. And, you know, not to say that, you know, it was, well, they ultimately ruled it his fault. He was very gracious. But he, um, it's just if you're not used to that bunching of, you know, people, if you're always in the lead or always behind, you know, you're never going to be, um, you know, people get tangled up all the time. It it happens more than, than you actually know. So, yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, I agree with you. I think that, that anybody who's used to running out front like that, all of a sudden it's a completely different dynamic if they get caught up in the pack and they don't know how to react and, and stuff like that. So yeah, I see what you're saying there. Okay. Uh, next up is Ellie Abraham. She is a sophomore from Brookings, South Dakota. And Looks like she's running. She ran. She runs some of the events that uh, that uh, that you did when you were there. At least one of them, anyway. Um, she also ran cross country and did really, really well, as a matter of fact. But most recently, she placed third in the thousand meters against Princeton, and her time of just under three minutes also qualified her for regionals. Now, uh, the one thing I've always found interesting about middle distance races is 
they have elements of both a sprint and, and a distance race. So I was wondering if you can kind of speak to that a little bit when it comes to like things like race strategy, uh, you know, preparing, you know, all that sort of thing. And, and actually what's going, to, going through your head as you, you know, are running, say, an 800-meter race? Well, first of all, the 400 is just a long sprint. Right. I don't care what anyone says. Uh, they they start in the blocks and they stay in their lanes just like any other sprint. And um, so that's pretty much a sprint. Um, obviously not as fast as a 100, but it's still a sprint. Now, the 800, yes, it's that one. The, the, the big thing is, is you don't want to go out slow and you don't want to go out fast. A lot of the big meets um, have pacers. Right. And, you know, to try and keep people, I don't know, if they want to, if, you know, it's, it's like anything. If they want to set a record or they just want to keep a pace, you know, and that person will only run uh, upwards of a, a quarter mile, one lap out of the two lap race. And then you'll notice they'll drop out. Some only do, you know, like 200, half the lap. But um, th- the key is, is not to go out too fast where you just die at the end. So you really try and do even paced or or actually a negative split. So to make your second half of the race faster than your first. And we're not talking like very much, but, you know, one or two seconds. And that's a lot. Two seconds is huge. Mm-hmm. In a, in a, um, but you try and keep it as even paced as possible. But you, you definitely want to make sure... Uh, the ideally would be, like I said, a negative split. So your second lap, final lap is faster than your first. Now, was that what you found particularly challenging about running those races is, is trying to get those negative splits or were there other things that kind of came into play there? Um, I don't know if it was the challenge. Of, it's always a challenge to keep an, as fairly even paced, whatever your distance is, um, half mile, a thousand. I never ran a thousand. They didn't have that event, but you know, or a mile. But um, for me, I, I just tried to stay as close to the lead as possible. I was the lead off leg of the four by eight because I just needed the the one on one head to head competition right. of the first leg. Whereas you know, by the second leg or definitely the third leg, the, the teams are always spread out, and I I just needed like someone there going, okay, they're right here. They're, they're right next to me. They're coming up on me. I hear them or I got to stay in front of them or I have to catch the person in front of me. So I personally just, you know, I wasn't a front runner per se. I just tried to, you know, just stay and hope my like last sprint might take me faster than whoever was nearest to me. You know what I'm saying? For sure. Okay, now we're up to Molly Mangan. Uh, she is a junior from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and... She enters her third year as one of Navy's most accomplished spinners so far. I mean, she's done quite a bit in the first couple of years. Um, she can cover any distance from 60 meters all the way up to 400. And she's also runs the uh, four by 400 meter relay. Um, Molly is the defending Patriot League champion at both 60 and 200 meters indoors. And she also won both of those events against Army last year. So one of the things that, I mean, I don't get a chance to see a lot of video on the, on the track athletes just because, you know, they, except for maybe the Patriot League championships, they don't, they're not going to carry them on, on uh, ESPN plus or anything like that. So what I ended up seeing is just a lot of highlights that Navy athletics has. Right. But I do note that she, she covers a wide range, like I'd mentioned. And, uh, you know, obviously you're, you're a multi-event athlete and we'll get into that a little bit more in a second, but 
I'm kind of curious if you knew anybody, if you had a teammate back then who who did run several of the sprints and what their approach was for making sure they just didn't like, you know, run out of gas at the very end. Yes, they, we they, pretty much everyone did more than one event mm-hmm. because we just didn't have a big team. And the sprinters is normal. It's normal. I mean, if you've ever, you know, Hussein Bolt, all those, all the big sprinters usually run multi of mm-hmm. the multi sprints. And and while in the bigger meets, they might be a little bit more spread out. So if if you've noticed uh, in the the Olympic trials or or whatever, you know, a hundred. I'm not to say that you're not spent at the end of you know. 11 seconds or 12 seconds, but it's not like running uh, two marathons or anything. So, or even uh, the 5,000 and 10,000 meters outdoors. But so, you know, pretty much they go all out, but it, but like the longer sprints, the 200, they kind of try and pace it. It depends on how many heats they're going to have. If, if, if they like in a dual meet, they, they won't have, chances are they won't have, multiple heats so you're pretty much putting all out all the time because they should be spreading out um the hunt you know you're not doing the it's not like the a meat doesn't run 100 200 400 800 they have you know the 100 and then they maybe go to the mile or then you know then they'll do some other sprints or they'll do something else and how they um splice it out because they know people they know the athletes are multi-event right people so they try and give them enough recovery time to you know cool down stretch you know warm back up and and recuperate so in a in a dual meet it'll be spaced out but they'll go all out for every event and chances are if they do the 100 and the 200 they're not also doing the 400 right right okay so usually it usually you, you take to the shorter sprints and the the 400 was kind of a group unto themselves because that one is really hard to come back from uh and do another event. So usually, you know, the the quick sprinters 100 200 they they pretty much go all out and if there's multiple heats of say the 400 they'll pace it so they know they'll make it to the next round. Mm-hmm. But they won't it chances are they're not going for any kind of PR or right, right. at that point. In the final they will, or if there's only one heat, or you know, it's just the final and a dual meet, like I said, there's probably not too many people runners and they'll just go all out. But a four hundred, um, they'll do one and they'll probably do the relay at the end, but they they won't be uh, more than a, they won't be running too much other of the events but it, the sprints is pretty much all out at at our level at the college level and now as you get into the ncaa's or or um you know the conference championships and there's more heats and there's a little bit more um i wouldn't say pacing but you, you have to like gauge where you are and adjust accordingly right right okay all right sounds good um, okay, so now our last athlete we want to talk about is uh, Katie Halbert, and she is a senior from Keller, Texas, and she is a multi-event athlete. So she's going to be the one doing the uh, the uh, uh, pentathlons indoors and and the heptathlons out outdoors. In fact, she's the defending Patriot League champion in the heptathlon from last year. So uh, in the in the Princeton meet, which is the the first duel that the that the team has had this year, um, she finished second in the sixty meters. And uh, now the one thing I didn't see is 
any kind of pentathlon results for that meet. I don't know if they just have those at invitationals or if they have them at duels or what, what's the typical practice there? I'm not sure if things have changed over the years or what. They don't normally do those in dual meets. It's it's more of a, yeah, like a regional or invitational conference championships, Eastern regionals, NCAAs. Um, it's just, um, there's just not right. enough time. Right. And, uh, but but it allows the athlete um, who would normally do that to do the different events, you know, a chance to just specialize in that particular meet or try, they, they probably end up doing as many, maybe not all those events, but maybe they'll just do the field events this week, this meet, or maybe they'll run something and then do something else. So it's not like they're not preparing for the big meet. It's just not something that they do in um, dual meets very often. Okay. All right. So, now, because you're just doing such a wide variety of events here, I, I'm I'm really interested in the whole, you know, pacing and that sort of thing as it relates to this. Because obviously here, you're talking about the winner achieving a certain number of points, right? And I don't understand how those points are, are calculated from one event to the other. I don't know if it's, you know, it takes a whole lot to explain that, but um, I'm a little bit curious about it. But from a from a strategy standpoint, like, you know, think back to maybe one of the times that you competed at one of these invitationals indoors and you're running the, uh, the pentathlon or, you know, uh, you can even look at outdoors if you want to as well, just to, to, to bring up an example. But, uh, okay. You know, the schedule for the day, uh, you know, which events are your strongest, uh, talk to me a little bit about, you know, if you set a goal for that particular meet, I want to get X number of points, right. Or am I even thinking down the, the right road here? I'm, I'm kind of curious to, to understand, from a from a from multi event athlete, what what the planning is like and how the, what the execution looks like. Well, I never, I mean, the point schedule there. There's some kind of chart, and um, it's based on, I guess, the I want to say the the difficulty of the event. Me personally, I just I just went and tried to do my best in each one mm-hmm. <laughs> because whatever came out. I mean. Um, it's kind of weird if you watch it because they could beat you in the hurdles, but you could do a better long jump and then you'll be ahead. You know, it, the points are kind of weird and you know, they'll beat you. They can beat you every single time, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to win the the pentathlon. That That's always the weird thing. So I always just went to try and do the best I could in each event and however it came out. So, um, because I just, I just, you, you know, I wasn't at the level where, you know, I, I could go, okay, I'm going to get more points if I do better in the shot put than if I did here. I just like, I, the shot put was one of it. I'm going to do the best I can and whatever comes out, comes out. Okay. Um, uh, that's me. You know, I did better in the running events, although the hurdles were just impossible for me. I just, that was probably my worst event. You know, I, I held my own in the shot put. And of course I was a high jumper and a long jumper. So I did okay. And then the 800 meters was just my event. So I usually made up most of my points in the last event of the meet, you know, so, but um, that's what I did. I I just couldn't um, sit there and calculate. And I don't, honestly, I don't think the coaches did. They just said, go out and do your best and whatever happens, happens. Okay. All right. Again, I, I wasn't at the level uh, to fine tune anything. I didn't have time to really learn, um, 
I mean, I put hours into the hurdles, but I just couldn't get it. Right, right. And and it and it goes back to like the pole vault. It was the fear mm-hmm. of because you actually have to take off uh, to hurdle about three feet prior to the hurdle, and but that that three feet might as well be you know ten feet or whatever in your mind if you're not. If, you know, and it it's nothing that you can't hit the hurdle or have it fall, but if you hit it, you could fall or it could hurt. Right. And it does. Um, but um, so, and and it's a speed across. And, and if you don't trust yourself to be able to, you know, um, you know, take the leap over the hurdle that far in front of the hurdle, what you need to, you end up stutter stepping and then you're, you're just slow. Right. And, and I, you know, every once in a while I would do it and then I'm like, Ooh, great. I got it. And then the next day I would be like, Oh, I'm afraid to hit the hurdle. Again. Right. You right. Know? So, so, um, so a lot of it is, um, like I said, you just, for me, it was always, let's just do the best I can do the best I can in the events that I know I'm really better at. And, um, and then just hang on and, and see what happens. So, you know, I didn't, and I didn't do, I don't, I don't know how many I actually did pentathlons, but I did, I was fortunate to, um, in the Eastern regionals, I, I got third. Oh, okay. I forget, uh, I forget it was up in Bowdoin, Maine, but I, I forget, um, who, who else was, I know Army was there, but, uh, I don't. You know, I I got third, which I thought was pretty darn good. So. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, to your point, though, I, I think that uh, there is something to be said for just keeping things simple, right? And instead of like overthinking it when it comes to, uh, you know, deciding, you know, figuring out what you want to do for 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 that particular event for that day. Um, but uh, yeah, so that makes total sense to me. Now, in fact, your response, you know, actually kind of feeds into the next question I wanted to ask you in terms of how teams typically take the results from one meet and prepare for the next one. Like, for example, uh, Coach Cook, when he was kind of giving his remarks on the uh, the Princeton meet, you know, the, the men ended up winning just barely. They, they won by like, you know, four or five points or something like that. And um, the women actually, after the first three events, they actually competed really, really hard. But it was those first three events that kind of got them. Uh, now, he basically said this. This is essentially a quote from him. He goes, we got done what we needed to get done. Uh, now we have a plan moving forward, and we'll see how well we can execute it over the next couple of weeks. So my question is, you know, just kind of thinking back to your experience, when it comes to taking the results from a meet and trying to get ready for the next one, is it as simple as you say, where we're just say, okay, everybody just shoot to do your best uh, in your in your event, try to get a PR or whatever, or is it more involved than that when it comes to making sure that the whole team is prepared uh, for their next opponent? It's a little bit of both, but really at that point, so you have a benchmark now. And maybe uh, you have a sprinter who's better in the 200 than the 100. So at, at so you take the, the results from this Princeton meet and you say, ooh, well, this runner did better in this event. So, and then you go, well, maybe that, maybe that, maybe the 400 really isn't her event. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe she would do better in the 800. And so then you, 
maybe take the next week or however long it is till the next meet and you, uh, you know, work towards making her a better 800 meter runner. Or like I said, maybe, maybe the 200 is not good for a really quick short sprinter and, um, you know, was too tired or maybe the 200 went before the 100. I don't know. I don't remember the order of events and you go, oh gosh, you know, maybe they weren't ready for the next one. So maybe you just move. And then especially with the distance runners, you you can move them around, you know, you could be a good miler, but not a good 3000 meter runner. Right. Or, you know, and like, oh, you have a, you're a decent miler, and you had a good time and you maybe even PR'd, but then maybe going, well, you know, maybe you could, we could translate that better into uh, a better 3000 meter runner, you know? So you, you kind of, it's kind of like, it's not necessarily like basketball where you move people around, but you, you know what I'm saying? You, you move people to where they could do their best and then ask them to do their best. Right. Right. That totally makes sense. Okay. Uh, Looks like that brings us to the last of the questions I wanted to go through as it relates to our athletes. We're going to go ahead and take a quick break here. And then when we come back, we'll uh, you know visit with Chris some more and just jump into some lightning round questions. So stay with us. Okay, welcome back to Navy Sports Central. Carl Darden here with you, and my guest is Chris Gromick, who is my classmate from the Class of 84 11th Company and a former member of the, uh, the Navy women's track team, both indoor and outdoor, and, and of course, cross-country. We mentioned that as well. So, uh, Chris, thanks again for being with us. Uh, what I want to do now is just kind of give everybody a chance to kind of hear uh, what you've been up to the last several years or so as it relates to your time um, after we left the academy. So, fire away. Well, um, I did plead detail right after graduation, and then I headed to Pensacola for flight school. I was lucky enough to uh, get one of the few slots we had for women uh, at the time, and uh, I ended up uh, being uh, drafted into the E2C2 <laughs> community. I actually wanted to be a helicopter uh-huh. pilot. <laughs> um, it worked all out in the end, and I... Um, I uh, got winged in 86, uh, went to uh, the RAG in Norfolk, where I went across the hangar to VRC-40, where I flew uh, C2s uh, for VRC-40 until um, my uh, commitment was up uh, in 91, uh, right after the uh, first Gulf War. I uh, was fortunate enough to get hired by uh, United, and I've been with United since May of 91. I started off as a DC-10 engineer. Then I went to be uh, the first officer on a 737, flew that for a number of years. And then um, uh, right uh, 2000, I uh, flew as captain on the 727. Um, at some point, I went to um, 737 captain. But ultimately, I just moved just a couple years ago. I moved from the right seat of the 757, and I'm now a a captain on the 767, still in Washington, and I just finished um, 30 years with United Airlines. So um, that's my job in a nutshell, really, I guess. Just out of curiosity, can you ballpark your number of flight hours? Oh, gosh. Um, I think when I put on my uh, paperwork, uh, 
probably close to 20,000 hours. <laughs> that's, uh, that's really, really impressive. That's pretty cool. All right. So uh, what I want to do now is just kind of go through what we call our little lightning round segment. And uh, I've got about seven or so questions here for you. Uh, just throw out the first thing that kind of comes to mind. If there's anything that uh, begs for a follow-up question, I'll definitely ask that. Uh, but again, just a chance to have a little bit of fun and, and have everybody who's hearing this uh, get to know you a little bit better, okay? So here we go. Uh, when you were competing, the workout that you hated the most? Uh, four by one mile. Okay. <laughs> four by one mile was every Monday, and it was at the end of a 6 end day. Oh, God. <laughs> And then the worst part would be is if you actually had to stay and watch that night. So, I mean, it was just one of those things. I mean, I would just like, I would cry every Monday. <laughs> I mean, it was bad enough Sunday night where, you know, at 1830, you know, you're at formation, the weekend's over. You're like, oh, my God, it's back to the grind. And then I go, oh, my God, Monday's not any better. <laughs> so, right, right. <laughs> All right. Uh, favorite summer Olympic event? Uh, the 400 hurdles. Okay. Men's and women's. Right, right. Oh, and then the 800, of course, but I, I do like the 400 hurdles the best. Okay. All right. Any particular athlete that you follow there still or no? Uh, well, the first person that ever got me really interested was Edwin Moses. Oh, for sure, now yeah. I'm really, now I'm really dating myself, right? <laughs> <laughs> but he was amazing to watch. And, uh, and uh, But right now, oh, my gosh, um Sydney McLaughlin and Dalala mm -hmm. Muhammad. Oh my gosh! To watch those two compete head to head against each other, it's it's the most amazing thing to watch. Technically, they're perfect. Um, they feed off each other. Everyone's you know one will win one time, one mm -hmm. win the next time. It's it's just amazing. All right. Uh, most memorable Olympic track and field moment that you recall watching on TV? Uh, well, I have two of these. Okay, that's okay. Yeah, both. Um, yeah. Again, again, one of again dating myself is uh, the Mary Decker Slaney versus Zola Bud in the oh, 19, God, yeah. 1984 uh, Olympics in the 3,000 meters when they uh, when there was a big build up to this rivalry that uh, you know I don't know was real or imagined but um, and uh, Zola Bud ran barefooted they're on the track in Los Angeles they're partway through the 3000 meters. There's a lot of jostling, as I talked about earlier. And um, Zola Bud was kind of running out. She's still in lane one, but like closer to the lane line between lane one and two. And Mary Decker was on her shoulder, but trying to sneak in uh, between her and the edge of the track. Right. Mm -hmm. And then at some point, um, then Zola was trying to, I, they were sort of coming out of the turn, but they were, she moved back in Mary Decker, you know, clipped her. They clipped a couple of times, but they both recovered. But at this point she clipped her again. Uh, if you look at the tape, um, Zola, Bud barely kept um, running mm -hmm. upright. Um, but at that point uh, she, it, Actually, Mary Decker actually tripped up her, but she fell into the infield, and that was the end of the race. And then Zola Bud actually, you know, dropped back. I, I, I don't know if she finished fourth. She definitely didn't win. Yeah, if you, if she you finished read, fourth or fifth. Yeah, she. If you read about it, she said, you know, there were so many boos. It was 
the U.S. and, you know, she was South African running for um, England. And uh, she said, I just I just didn't even want to try and win at that point because, you know, it was just a bad situation for her. That's that's what she said. Um, and the other one was just this past Olympics was, again, the 400 meters women's uh, uh, Sydney McLaughlin and Delala Mohammed, and every time they ran, one of them set a world record. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Record. And in fact, both of them actually beat the old world record. But since Sydney McLaughlin won, she's now the world record holder. But it's just, it, I mean, I couldn't run that fast, Carl, without hurdles. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I'm not even sure I could bicycle that fast. <laughs> <laughs> really? Oh, that is so funny. I, uh, I, I'll throw in one of my favorite moments here. And again, we're going back a little ways. We're going to go back. And by the way, I do remember that, that, uh, Zola Bud, Mary Decker race. Um, not only did I see it, but HBO sports later on did a, uh, documentary called picture perfect. And it was, uh, a documentary on some of the more iconic sports photographs that were ever taken, um, in the last say 50 years or so. And one of them, was that one where they got a you know Mary Decker on the side of the track just in agony basically just probably partly because she was physically hurt but probably more than the fact that she realized what just happened in terms of her Olympic dream and all that because you'll recall that she was actually a very very strong runner in eighty four still but her her year to to win it all was nineteen eighty and of course, they didn't compete right. in the Summer Olympics because of the boycott and everything. But, uh, uh, you know, she still was the odds on favorite to at least medal in 84 and, and didn't have a chance to do that. So that was, that was one thing I do remember. But the one I'm thinking of for sure, I, I'm a big fan of the sprint relays. Okay. So uh, in the, I believe it was the 88 Seoul Olympics, there was like the, the women's four by 100 meter relay. Uh, and I can't remember all the women who participated in that one, except for the one who ran the anchor leg, which was Evelyn Ashford. Oh, and right. they were going against, of course, you know, the, the East Germans who, uh, I don't care what you're saying. I mean, I, I, I believe that every last one of those women were, you know, <laughs> getting, getting some help, you know, <laughs> medically getting some help to compete. But uh, I just remember that that race was a complete toss up and nobody knew who was going to win. And the the relays, both the men and the women, it, it seems like every couple Olympics, they always have these issues passing the baton, right? Um, and in that particular one, as the, you know, the final started off, the women were in really good shape. I mean, they were neck and neck with the East Germans the whole time. And then going into the last exchange, the East Germans were a little bit ahead. And when, the, when Evelyn Ashford took off to receive the baton, the exchange was not clean. I mean, she had it, but just barely. I mean, it was right by the very, very edge of it. I remember To the that. point where she didn't even bother switching hands. You know, a lot of times you'll switch hands and put it in more comfortable. And you could just see her just like, they didn't even need to have the volume up. I mean, you could just tell the expletive that she muttered <laughs> when, she, <laughs> when she grabbed it because, and then she just like took off. And then about halfway down the, the, uh, the final stretch, it was almost like the East German runner just stopped running and Evelyn Asher just like blew past her and ended up winning by, I'd say half a meter or so, but it was just the most incredible finish. And I will never forget that. I mean, there's times that I'll still pull it up on YouTube just to watch it. But, uh, yeah, that was, that was pretty exciting, but, uh, all right. So, um, all right. Well, I think you may have answered this question already, but we'll, we'll ask, I'll ask it anyway. Favorite summer Olympic athlete. 
Jackie Joyner Kersey. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, heptathlete, right? Yep. Yep. But but and she was uh, also just she competed uh, solely in the long jump also. Right. So she did the heptathlon and the long jump, did well in both. I think she won gold in both, actually. Yep. And uh, just a great all around athlete, great all around person, just great. Right, right. So all right, good stuff. All right. Uh funniest thing you ever saw happen at a track meet either in high school or at the academy. <laughs> I still tell this story. So we're at the Eastern Regionals Outdoor Meet. And it's in East Stroudsburg College in Pennsylvania. And um we're in the stands, not very many people, and it's the four by one hundred. And we had um uh, three, four, four coaches. So, uh, Sheedy, Major Sheedy, I think he might have been a colonel by that point. But anyway, the sprint coach, and I, it was a Navy lieutenant. I think he was a company officer, and unfortunately, I can't remember his name, but he was a really great guy. And, um, so we're sitting in the stands right like midfield. And, uh, so we had the heats, and, uh, I ran the four by um, the 400 meter hurdles. I didn't qualify for the finals, but our uh, top runner, Stephanie Green, class of 85, did. Mm-hmm. But the um, in her heat was also this other woman from some school, and she and Stephanie was good. But this woman left Stephanie in the dust. I mean, you know, and uh, and uh, so we come up and we're sitting in the stands and. We're talking. We're like, oh, it's okay, Steph. You'll get second. It'll be fine. It'll be great. And, you know, just go out and do your best. And and this lieutenant says, he goes, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you people. He goes, you never, you don't ever know what's going to happen. And we're like, like, what's going to happen, sir? And he's like, you know, you don't know. It might rain. She might trip over the last hurdle. You might. I'm like, yeah, right. Uh Uh-huh. Sure. Sure. Yeah, right. Yes, sir. Uh Uh-huh. So we... So we're, like I said, we're right like midfield, which is the 10th hurdle. And then there's, uh, I don't know, maybe 15 yards between the 10th hurdle and the, and the finish. And so the gun goes off and we're screaming for Steph and we're like, go Steph. And, you know, and she's in second, she's in second. And, uh, you know, so the 10th hurdle is in right front of us and, and, uh, the girl trips over the last hurdle. Oh my God. And, and we're like, and, and we're just sitting there, I mean, stunned. And like, there was like this collective. <gasps> and we were like, we're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And then we're like, and then we're like screaming for Stephanie. And like at that point, like, it's like a split second. We see all this happen and we're screaming, we're screaming and screaming. We're like, go, go, go. She fell, she fell. Go, go, go. And she won. <laughs> Stephanie Green won because she couldn't, the woman just couldn't recover quick enough off the Uh ball. But, but we were, but, and then the the lieutenant comes up to us again. He goes, see, I don't know what's going to happen. And I'm like going, oh my gosh, you must have had like an angel or something or some devil or something on that hurdle because, because there's like, what was the likelihood of that happening? But I, I couldn't believe it. And to this day, I'll never forget that because it was just like, Oh my gosh, she fell. <laughs> <laughs> Unreal. That's a, that's a pretty good story. Um, okay, next question. The uh, one teammate who pushed you to compete harder throughout the season? Uh, well, they're really, we were very close-knit team. Uh-huh. Um, but I would have to say Stephanie Green, 
uh, class of 85. Uh-huh. Okay. I, I, I just, uh, um, just the work ethic, just the nicest person, just a real team player, um, you know, encouraged everyone to never, never had, a, you know, it was never about her. It was always about everyone else. You know, and uh, I, she inspired a lot of people, but she she was just a really she's a really great person. And and she was. But I mean, I, you know, early on uh, when I was a plebe, uh, Lori Miklas, who's class of 81, kind of looked after me. And then, um, um, you know, like there was just so many others. Uh, Laura Hinckley, class of 83, great runner, uh-huh. um, you know, Sue Honan. Um, I am. 84, we were, we were pretty close. Um, you know, Becky, um, well, Becky was my roommate also for a while, but, uh, Ginger and Sue Honan, um, we we're just really close and the coaches themselves inspired everybody. Yeah. And, and I don't know if, uh, Ginger mentioned this in her, uh, thing about cross country, but, uh, I mean, they used to run with us. Mm-hmm. I mean, they used to do the workouts with. Well, they didn't do the they didn't do the six by one hundred <laughs> six by one miles with us, but they used to to run with us. Um, and, uh, and at the end of every season, they would uh, all the uh, officers in, in connected with the uh, team, uh, the O rep, and any coaches. They they would put together a relay team, and we'd put together a relay team, and we'd race each other at the end of the season. So. Um, yeah, that was just a great bunch of people to be associated yeah, with uh, yeah. all these years. All right, cool. Now, I, I do have one more question to ask, Chris. Uh, it's not on here, but uh, it, it occurred to me. Uh, how, how closely are you following the programs these days, just out of curiosity? Um, I I kind of keep tabs, but I, you know, it's one is they don't have, it's not, they don't have a lot of meets and they're, I, I actually, it's been following cross country a little bit Closer, mostly because they sometimes run down in the tidewater area. Right. Um, but uh, I like to see how they're doing. Like, um, you know, I, I mean, I look at it and I, I look at it their times and, and I'm like going, oh, my gosh, I wouldn't even be like, they, you know, they'd run circles around me. I'd be still starting <laughs> and they'd be finishing, you know, and it's just so fast. Um, yeah, I don't even know how I would get in at all anyway you know, anymore. So, well, I was like, I was looking at some of their times as well. And I'm saying, okay, so by the time she's finishing, I'm about maybe a third of the way through my, <laughs> whatever I'm doing. <laughs> and by the time I finish, she's probably on her second recovery drink. <laughs> so, but, <laughs> oh, no, no. Yeah. Carl, when you, you, you uh, mentioned one time, uh, you were going to do a perimeter run during one of our, uh, reunions. Yeah. It was the and, last one. Yeah. And you said, uh, uh, you, you said, oh, we're going to do eight, minute 40 second miles and uh i think it was raining that day or cold or something and i'm like i'm not doing that i can't do that anymore <laughs> i don't want to be embarrassed so i'm just gonna sit this one out so i'm sure ginger was there like, yeah ginger was there yeah yeah <laughs> that's pretty funny but my, my question is this actually when you and it kind of goes along the lines of what you just mentioned in terms of the the athletes that are there now and, and recognizing that w- when you were there uh, you and Ginger and, uh, you know, Sue and anybody else who ran during that time essentially were responsible for getting that program up and running. Okay. Starting off in division, I guess, what, two, and then, uh, eventually it migrated to division one. I don't think you guys even competed against army until after we graduated. Um, 
So it'll be kind of interesting to see how how things and 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 that rivalry has been pretty close. But my question to you, this the, this last question is, as you look at the program in terms of how it's evolved, and I, I've mentioned that the women have already won multiple Patriot League championships and so forth. When you think about the fact that, okay, yeah, I was one of the folks who kind of helped get things up and running. Just can you explain to me how that makes you feel inside when you see how some of these programs, you know, cross country, indoor track and outdoor track, how far they've come. And, you know, quite frankly, when it comes to the Patriot League uh, and Navy athletics, the uh, women's sports are doing extremely well right now. And just trying to get a sense for how that makes you feel, knowing that you were one of the original um, athletes that kind of got things going. I'm just so proud of um, having been a part of it at the beginning. And I'm just so proud of them now and how strong uh, they are in multi-disciplines uh, leadership. I'm so happy that uh, they're doing well academically. They're part of, you know, very integrated into the brigade. It's, it's um, I'm sure there's still issues, but, you know, overall, um, there's so many more women that um, it's just, I'm sure the experience isn't what it was when we were there. Um, uh, It's not, I'm not just, I don't, I don't want to disparage anything. I mean, it was obviously a horrible, it was difficult, but everybody has a difficult time for whatever reason. You had your difficulties. I had mine. They weren't the same per se, but uh, I think now um, the attitude there is so, different that um it's not the um i don't want to say the old boys network because that's not it but but there was just so much tradition i mean um one of my company mates uh john sylvester i i mean his family legacy at navy went back like four generations Mm -hmm. and and so you're not uh, now if you go back a couple generations Sometimes some of these mids, their mom went there. Yeah, which the, the whole attitude now is different, and they're more accepting. But, but I'm just so proud to have been a part to like just even put a crack in the glass ceiling, so to mm-hmm. speak. But I just think I think the uh, women now, um, thankfully, um, due to the, you know both their parents uh, uh, are more self-confident and they're just um you know they they just know that they have a place there too. right right and and uh you know it, it's it's not about uh who you are it, it, you know outside appearances it's it's who you are uh character wise um and uh your your dedication to um Excellence in whatever leadership in your athletics and your academics. Um, I just think it's a. I'm very proud of all the midshipmen, uh, but I am especially proud of uh, of the women on how far we've come uh, over over 40 years now of being there. Right, right. I, I totally agree with you, and 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 by all indications, it's it's not stopping anytime soon. <laughs> I mean, you got. I mean, I just spoke with. Uh, with our, our classmates, uh, you know, the late Steve Skinner's daughter, Sarah, in our last podcast. And, I mean, she's just uh, an unbelievable talent, both uh, academically, obviously, being the 54th Road Scholar, but also athletically as well in terms of what she did with, uh, with Navy Women's Rugby. So, yeah, I totally, I totally get all of that. Um, all right. 
Well, listen, Chris, that brings us to the end of our conversation. Uh, thanks so much for being with us. I had a great time getting caught up with you and uh, really, really appreciate you being on the program. So thanks a lot. Oh, it was my pleasure, Carl. It's it's always great. I'm glad what you're doing and uh, hopefully I'll fly with your wife again. So. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Awesome. You take care now. Thanks, Carl. All right. Bye-bye. All right. That was, that was a lot of fun. Um, by the way, that last reference there that Chris made uh, regarding my wife, I just found this out actually when we got reconnected, but uh, my wife is a flight attendant for United Airlines and she and Chris started within two months of each other. Uh, I think uh, my wife's start date was July of 91. And I think you heard Chris say that she became, uh, she joined United as a pilot there in, uh, in May of 91. So uh, small world. All right, let's go ahead and take a quick break. We'll be right back to wrap things up with one key performance that I wanted to mention from the Wesley A. Brown Invitational that was held last week in Annapolis. So we'll be right back. Okay, thanks for hanging with us here on Navy Sports Central as we head down the home stretch. Uh, before I forget, I did want to clarify one thing that Chris said earlier, and it was when she was answering that question, that first lightning round question, and she mentioned the phrase six and day. Uh, now, if you're a grad or you have a son or daughter at the academy now, you know that six and day refers to a full day of classes with no free periods. Uh, and there's nothing worse than having one of those on a Monday. So that was one of the reasons I was laughing so hard because I hadn't heard the term in such a long time. Anyway, I did want to pass along one terrific accomplishment by one of the athletes we just discussed, and this took place at the Wesley A. Brown Invitational last weekend. Uh, Katie Halbert, who was our featured multi-event athlete for this episode, she tied the school record for points in the pentathlon with uh, 3,709 but even more impressive was the fact that she also set new school records in the 60-meter hurdles and the long jump. And she did all that in the space of about five hours. Uh, in fact, after the meet, uh, Coach Cook mentioned that he had never seen an athlete put together that kind of a performance in such a short period of time. So congratulations to Katie and good luck in the uh, star meet coming up uh, this weekend against Army. Okay, I tell you what, I'm going to call an audible here and uh, we're going to pick back up with the question of the day and our mid-watch segment in our next episode. So that's going to do it for this edition of Navy Sports Central. Thank you all so much for joining us. Now, if you like what you've heard, make sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. And remember to spread the word to all the other Navy fans out there. Once again, I'd like to thank my classmate and Navy Athletic Sports Hall of Famer, Chris Gromick, for helping me preview the women's indoor track team. It was really good to get her perspective today. We have been getting a great response to our question of the day. So if you want to jump in on that, just go to the Navy Sports Nation Group Facebook page. I will go ahead and pin it to the top uh, so you won't miss it. And just a quick reminder, the views expressed on Navy Sports Central are my own and do not reflect those of the U.S. Naval Academy or Navy Athletics. By the way, the music used in Navy Sports Central comes to you courtesy of Audio Jungle. This is a great site for purchasing the rights to use music from thousands of artists around the world. And those we feature in the podcast will be credited in our show notes. Talk to you soon, everybody. Until next time, this is Carl Darden. Go Navy, beat Army. <laughs>